Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe, rate it, review it, or share it with friends. And if you enjoy this episode, please consider sponsoring this podcast with a small monthly donation by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes. I'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this podcast. Snake River Roasting Company is an organic coffee roaster located in the beautiful mountains of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And not only do they roast award-winning coffees, but their mission and commitment to supporting the rights of women farmers around the world are just incredible. I start every single morning with a cup of their Fire on the Mountain organic coffee blend. And if you're ready to fall in love with your coffee, Snake River Roasting Company has a free shipping code for you to give their delicious coffee a taste. Head to their website, snakeriverroastingco.com, and use the code COFFEELOVE at checkout for free shipping on all domestic coffee orders. So this week, we are talking about creating intimacy in our relationships without relying on sex. But before we dive in, I wanted to say two things. One, Thank you to everyone who has signed up to be monthly sponsors of this podcast. I had a huge spike last week, and I just have to tell you, it means so much to me, and I really appreciate you listening and making the choice to sponsor the podcast with those monthly contributions. I feel so very seen and heard in creating this space And I hope the topics we're exploring are resonating with you and helping you to feel supported in your own journey. I am not an expert. I am just a person who asks really good questions, and I'm interested in everything. (laughs) And I want to encourage all of us to question everything we think we know, everything we've been taught, everything that the world tells us we should be or what we should do. And I want us all to feel that we're safe to do that. We're safe and supported as we ask these questions and receive different answers. And the second thing I wanted to say is that I had absolutely no idea how much feedback I would get for discussing masturbation in my last episode. And the underlying message that stands out to me is how all over the scale people's responses were. And that's exactly why I wanted to talk about it and why I talk about any of these topics. Because some people were like, well, everybody does that. Who needs to even talk about it? And other people were like, no one does that. I can't believe you said that out loud and broadcast it. So... To that, I will respond with a Mr. Rogers quote. He said, anything that's human is mentionable, and anything that's mentionable can be more manageable. When we talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming, less upsetting, and less scary. And I'm sure he had no idea that somebody would ever use that quote to defend talking about masturbation, but here I am. So (laughs) thank you, Mr. Rogers. So to anyone who has never heard someone talk about that before or feels ashamed talking about it or uncomfortable, just know that there's nothing in your human experience that you can't talk about. It's just about finding the people and places where you feel as if you can be seen for your authentic self and share without fear of rejection or shame. It's not always easy to find those places, but I can promise you this is one of those spaces, so you are all welcome here. Now, on to the topic for today. 
which is creating intimacy in our relationships without relying on sex. And I wanted to record an episode on this topic because much like sex, it's an area that is almost coasted over in discussions about relationships. It's almost same, same, but different to the topics of feeling connected to our own bodies or masturbation or different ways to experience sex. There is almost an, oh, you'll figure it out kind of attitude (laughs) when in reality, we have seen for generations all the harm that not discussing these topics has done to our self-esteem, our self-perception, our self-expression, and our relationships. And I have read plenty of books on the subject, and I can tell you that even the so-called relationship experts are sharing their perspectives about what they believe to be the ideal relationship dynamics. So, to be clear, if you desire relationships shrouded in mystery (laughs) with challenging communication, then my little episode on intimacy may not resonate for you. And that's okay. We don't all want the same things, and I understand that. I hope you understand that. This episode is probably for the people out there who do want to create that intimacy in relationships because they feel that with that intimacy, we create connection, trust, and safety, which can sound boring. I get that. If you're chasing sort of a trauma bond high and you want that intense highs and lows and almost that anxiety feeling in relationships, and I'm not shaming you, I I get that some people love that, I understand that, then again, this may not be the episode for you, or you can listen to it and be like, oh, those people sound cute. (laughs) But to me, my best and most satisfying relationships are the ones where I can trust the other person. I don't want my relationships to be combative battlegrounds. I want them to feel safe and connected. Life is tough. The world is wild. My home and the core of my relationships have to be a source of solace and restoration for me. A place where I am reminded of who I am and encouraged to be who I am Versus a place where I walk on eggshells with, like, anxiety knitting a blanket in my stomach. But again, it takes all kinds. And I know that not everyone wants that safety, peace, and connections in relationships. I do. Maybe you do as well. (laughs) You know, maybe you're not even there yet, but you're still open to listening to this episode and kind of seeing what that's all about. And I want to remind everyone that feeling safe is not the same as feeling familiar or comfortable. We can be very familiar and comfortable with combative relationships, crossing boundaries, enmeshment, codependency, self-sabotaging, lying or doing or saying hurtful things. That can feel so familiar and so comfortable. Maybe it's the devil we know. Maybe it's the house we grew up in. Maybe it's the blueprint for relationships that, you know, we see and hear in our minds as we're entering a new one. 
And when we behave that way, or someone we're involved with behaves that way, we can confuse the comfort and the familiarity of it with safety. And sometimes the safest relationships we've ever known are the ones that bring up big feelings of discomfort because we're actually experiencing something new. You know, are you uncomfortable when someone offers you their complete presence? Is it unfamiliar to be with someone who does what they said they would do when they said they would do it with the people they said they would do it with? And instead of breathing a sigh of relief that you can trust this person and they're offering themselves to you in that way, do you find yourself constantly looking for a crack in their armor to see what kind of game they're playing with you when really they feel comfortable with themselves and they're just showing up, being honest and loving you and trying to create a sense of comfort for you? Are you uncomfortable with being seen, like really being seen by another person and seeing them just as clearly? Does it bring up fears of inadequacy or imposter syndrome? Or does it take away the power from a character defect like self-protection? Because if you see someone clearly in their humanity and imperfection and they see you just as clearly Maybe we don't get to distance ourselves and take an inventory of all their flaws as a way to sabotage the relationship and, you know, protect ourselves in some distorted way. And if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know that I love to ask questions and do some journaling around each of these topics. And I always encourage you to do the same Because it's not just about my opinion or what I'm sharing here. I'm sure if you listen to this podcast long enough, I'm going to say things you disagree with. It's not about that. It's about inviting yourself to go deeper and look at these topics with new eyes. So many of us are disconnected from our own stories. And we're just playing a well-worn tape in our heads and reacting to it. And we're really distant from it. You know, it's this thing we do all the time, but we're not connected to it. And we're not looking at it with a different perspective and saying, is this helping me or is this harming me? Or am I just used to doing this? And do I have capacity to do something in a different way? So by taking the time to sit with ourselves and allowing some of our discomfort and confusion to rise to the surface we may find some clarity and be able to record a new tape to play when these situations come up. Like when we meet someone new and we want to establish a relationship with them, maybe by asking ourselves these questions and doing this work now, we'll have a different response and we won't just unconsciously react to that person. And some questions that come up around intimacy and relationships are, did you feel safe? loved, seen, and heard as a child? And if not, what work have you done to get those needs met in adulthood? Which relationships in your life displayed your ideal version of connection and intimacy? What did it look like, feel like, or sound like? And what feelings came up for you in body, mind, and spirit when you were around these people? How have you responded to someone asking for or offering 
intimacy in relationships? And how has that changed throughout your life? Are we demanding or expecting intimacy, vulnerability, honesty, communication, or connection without offering it or creating a safe space for it to unfold or demonstrating that we have the ability to receive it? Have we ever weaponized someone's intimacy with us? Have we ever used it as ammunition against the other person? Has someone ever done that to us? Are we holding other people to standards that we are not holding ourselves to? What steps are we taking, and by steps I mean actions, not just words, to build and maintain intimacy, connection, and vulnerability in relationships? Because it's one thing for us to say, you can trust me, and it's quite another to prove consistently over time and with our actions that we are trustworthy. So what are you doing to create that in relationships? And lastly, taking a moment to ask ourselves, what is intimacy in a relationship? Some of the definitions of intimacy that I found were a little strange, but the one that was closest to my own experience with this is Intimacy in a relationship is a feeling of being close and emotionally connected and supported. It means being able to share a whole range of thoughts, feelings, and experiences that we have as human beings. So why is intimacy such a big deal, yet so often overlooked in relationships? And it's probably because it's complicated and it requires vulnerability, trust, connection, and honesty and even a little bit of humility, too. And how do we generally deal with all of those things? Are we taught how to cultivate those things in school or in our families of origin? Maybe not. Instead, we enter into relationships, and we awkwardly stumble through lessons that teach us about what we want in those relationships. And you know, we don't work through our relationship issues in our heads, and I know a lot of us want to. We want to think our way into good action. We want to think our way through a brick wall and visualize the person we could be, or our ideal self in an ideal relationship, and if it all just went according to plan, life would be great. But that's not really how it works, right? We work out our roles and issues and insecurities, our wants and our needs in real time, in real relationships. And as we're talking about intimacy, I think it's a good idea to identify the different types of intimacy. There was a wonderful article in June of 2020 in Mind Body Green titled, Intimacy Exists Outside of Just Sex. Here are four other kinds. And in that article, they identified emotional intimacy, intellectual intimacy, experiential intimacy, and spiritual intimacy. In this article, they share that emotional intimacy involves candid, authentic sharing of thoughts and feelings. It involves being able to tell each other your deepest fears, dreams, disappointments, and most complicated emotions as well as feeling seen and understood when you do. 
Emotional intimacy means both you and your partner feel safe and comfortable with this type of uninhibited expression around each other. This safe space is cultivated by each person refraining from judgment or contempt when the other is sharing. They say that what creates intellectual intimacy is comfort with communicating beliefs and viewpoints without worrying about potential conflicts. Each person in the relationship has the freedom to think for themselves and believes that their opinions are valued instead of feeling pressured to agree. This atmosphere encourages stimulating conversation. You feel closer to the person who cares for you independent of differences and respects your voice. Experiential intimacy is shared experiences that lead to inside jokes and private memories that can intensify a connection. The act of teamwork and moving in unison toward a common goal while creating an experience also establishes a feeling of closeness. And lastly, spiritual intimacy. Religious practice isn't necessary for spiritual intimacy, though it can serve the purpose. This closeness forms when you share poignant moments with your partner, and though praying and worshiping as a couple could qualify as one such moment, there are many other examples of spiritual intimacy. And that was a great summary of the different types of intimacy that can exist outside of sex. And any discussion of intimacy that doesn't also include a discussion of boundaries is probably missing something. And there's a great Esther Perel quote. She says that when two become one, connection can no longer happen. There is no one to connect with. Thus, separateness is a precondition for connection. This is the essential paradox of intimacy and sex. So let's not confuse intimacy for enmeshment or codependency, because that's not what I'm talking about. Intimacy has beautiful boundaries, and you get to decide what your boundaries are in each relationship. Another Esther Perel quote that speaks to this is, When the impulse to share becomes obligatory, when personal boundaries are no longer respected, when only the shared space of togetherness is acknowledged and private space is denied, fusion replaces intimacy and possession co-ops love. And that's not so much a declaration of rightness or black and white thinking as it is an invitation to explore what those things mean to us and how we're communicating them in relationships. As I mentioned earlier, We don't really work out these relationship issues just in our heads. We work them out in action in relationships. And so I wanted to talk about some simple practices that you can do with either a friend or a romantic partner or even alone that can help to strengthen your intimacy, vulnerability, connection, and boundaries in relationships. And I do want to say that Being intimate with ourselves is not required in order to be intimate with other people, but it sure does help. You know, if I am not rooted in who I am or if I don't trust myself, then what am I sharing with another person? I'm sharing a mask or confusion or uncertainty. And if I know myself well and trust myself and I'm 
always moving towards a clear ideal, how does that show up in my relationships? It probably looks like a commitment to growing, self-reflecting, and a willingness to take corrective action. Because we're not perfect, (laughs) you know, no matter how we want to think. We're never just going to be this evolved version of ourselves. We're dynamic. We're always in motion. And so getting clear about what you want and what you're moving towards can help you show up in relationships. But, you know, it is a process and you still get to be in relationships even when you're not an expert at this. And that's why I'm talking about it because it's a journey. And so one of the practices that I'd love to start talking about is one that I've mentioned on this podcast before, and that is taking a personal inventory, but very specifically taking a sex inventory. And you can say, well, isn't this whole podcast about creating intimacy outside of sex? Why would I take a sex inventory? Because so much of what we're trying to create in relationships comes through in these sex inventories. It's not just about the act of sex. It's about everything that we did around it before and after and how we treated those relationships. And this concept of taking a personal inventory helps us to keep our side of the street clean. You know, life is changing. We're growing. We're learning. And a great way to be centered and rooted through all of that is to reflect on what am I bringing to the table? And inventories are pretty much the cornerstone of all 12-step programs. Every program from AA to Narcotics Anonymous to Sex Addicts Anonymous, they all utilize this tool. And the perfect time to do one of these inventories is actually right now. You know, don't wait until the perfect relationship comes along. There's no time like the present to explore your own history. We do it now and we find out some information about what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. And the more that we do these inventories over time, the more things are revealed. It's like peeling away the layers of an onion. I might do a sex inventory at age 21 and I think I've got all the answers. This is how I show up in relationships. This is what I do, what I want. And if I do the same inventory at 31, I might look at it with different eyes. I might take a different level of self-responsibility. So I encourage this practice. I don't think it's a one-time thing. And I break my personal inventories down into five different columns. In the first column, I write, whom did I hurt? So I just list all the names. In the second column, I write, how did I hurt them? In the third column, I write, what did I unjustifiably arouse in them? And some examples are jealousy, suspicion, resentment, or bitterness. In the fourth column, I write, where was I at fault? Where was I selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? And in the final column, I write, what could I have done instead? And the power of an exercise like this is that it gets us out of our story. We all have that tape that's playing, that story that says we're either the hero or the victim or 
everyone else is at fault or, you know, my favorite line when I'm doing one of these inventories with a sponsee and they say, oh, my picker's broken. I just always choose the wrong people. Um, This exercise gets us out of the habit of pointing those fingers and taking everyone else's inventory. And instead, it asks that we focus on ourselves, our intentions, our actions, our energy. And we take responsibility for what we can change and maybe open ourselves up to looking at some of the things that we've been unwilling to change. In this type of practice, it will reveal our patterns, maybe some of the patterns that we think are normal. We think every relationship for everyone ends in complete chaos and fighting, or we think that cheating is normal. Or those things that we don't consider cheating, that other people consider cheating. (laughs) And it's always a source of confusion and chaos, and we just don't understand it. By putting pen to paper and actually looking at some of the patterns and being willing to acknowledge some of those patterns can really help shape our next actions. And it's not that unconscious programming and tape that's playing and saying, When you start a relationship, you do this. When you end a relationship, you do this. We are looking at everything with new eyes. And I think a really good example of this is, you know, in my own experience in dating, I've shared with new people that I'm dating that I'm actually friends with almost everyone I've been on a first date with. And the reactions I get when I say that are so wild and all over the map. Some people will say, well, that's not true. You're obviously lying or your relationships are messy and you're, you know, you're crossing boundaries or you're manipulating them or you're trying to ruin their relationships. And I'm like, yeah, no, none of that. I'm, I don't know. I, I just get along with most of them. So (laughs) it's interesting to talk about these things because you'll see how foreign that is to someone else, how that's just doesn't make any sense. And I have had friends who've ended relationships and every relationship that ends, it's World War III. And they have to assassinate the character of the person that just a few weeks ago they said they loved and how that is normalized. And so I'm always inviting us to look at how we do things and maybe take a step back and say, why do I think that that's normal? Is it serving me? Is it meeting one of my needs? And that need doesn't always have to be being loved. Maybe my need is to be right, to be dominant, to come out on top, to be more powerful, to look like I can't be hurt or you didn't win or you didn't get one over on me, you know? Maybe we're not clear on what our needs are and maybe these inventories can reveal that. And I don't think I'm a better person because I get along with the people that I've dated. I do know that for me personally, that's my highest ideal. I don't want to have spent time with someone and have to villainize them just because this one version of our relationship didn't work out. And that's, again, my highest ideal. And for someone else, that could be the antithesis of what they want. So doing these inventories reveals to us what our needs are and how we can get them met. Another practice that I've mentioned on this podcast before is eye gazing. 
And if you're in a relationship, I highly recommend it as a regular practice with your partner. Because sometimes we need those nonverbal connections that are not physical, they're not sexual, we're just sitting in someone's presence. And so much can rise to the surface. If you can't sit in front of your partner and look at them in silence for 10 minutes, maybe that tells you something, you know, if just looking at this person either bores you or brings a feeling of rage or disconnection, maybe that's revealing something about the relationship. And so to eye gaze, we sit directly in front of the other person, usually with our legs crossed and relaxed, maybe on pillows, and you set a timer and you just simply look into each other's eyes. And I always like to say that at first it is really challenging because one thing it does is that it reveals to us how rarely we pause and sit in complete presence with the people that we care about and how often we can go through almost an entire day sometimes or even a weekend without locking eyes with our partner and really just taking them in. And an important aspect of this practice is the silence. Because no matter what feelings come up, and some big feelings do come up, this is not the time to talk about it. You're simply sitting with the other person, allowing those feelings to rise to the surface, to walk through them, and just observing each other. No matter if you're laughing, if you're crying, or you're just sitting in the stillness, it's about creating that presence. And I always recommend that if you are feeling disconnected from a partner to begin practicing this and, you know, don't make some unrealistic ideal that, you know, for the next year, we're going to do this for an hour a night because you're almost setting yourself up to fail. But if you can say, you know, for the next 21 days, let's do this for 10 minutes every night before we go to bed. That's probably something that's pretty achievable. And the next practice goes a bit deeper. I've also shared this on the podcast before, and this is asking questions of our partner in a safe container. And you can say, well, you know, isn't my relationship the safe container? And maybe it isn't, you know, maybe actually cultivating this time and space to ask these questions with a structure can reveal things about your communication that you were not aware of. And in this one, you sit across from each other just as you would while eye gazing, and you begin to ask each other timed questions. And this is a practice of building tolerance, tolerance to tap into our own truth, but also tolerance to receive someone else's truth. So we don't immediately begin with like the deepest, most profound question we can think of. We begin with surface level questions. And we scale up from one minute to two minutes to three minutes and so on. And one part of creating this safe container is that you cannot interrupt or ask questions when the other person is answering the question. And they also have to talk for the entire length that they are being timed. And so why are both of these things important? Because... We can interrupt someone dropping into deeper levels of vulnerability when we're firing questions at them. Silence allows someone to drop through and break through different levels. 
And we want to break these barriers within ourselves at our own pace and go deeper than sort of the answers that we throw out to the universe all the time. So an example of a question can be, what are you afraid of? And the timer could be set for seven minutes. And the first response may be something that kind of brushes the person off. And it's like, oh, I'm not afraid of anything. You know, everything's fine. You know, I know myself. I'm, I'm ready for anything. Okay, well, now you have six minutes and 45 seconds to either sit and stare at one another in silence or you go deeper. And when you're ready, you begin to explore, well, I'm maybe afraid of ending up alone or I'm afraid that I'm not going to get what I want or I'm afraid that you're not attracted to me. You know, like these things come up. And so begins the falling away of our armor and protective layers. And this is a beautiful practice, but as I've said, with intimacy, it requires boundaries because what is shared is private and it's not to be weaponized in the future or questioned to death. So it takes some discernment to see if you and your partner are ready to commit to that. And I also want to say that when we're exploring these things with our partners and, you know, sharing our truths. It's not about gathering facts. It's not a fact-finding mission. You know, what did you do when you were 16? And, you know, why are you ashamed of it? And I'm going to take notes and bring it up some other time. It's really not about that. It's about sitting in the presence of this person we care about and beginning to see how they make decisions, how they reflect, how they take responsibility, how they view the world. So it's not just about the facts, it's about learning this other person's process. And when we learn someone else's process, we developed trust in them. You know, some of the longest relationships I've ever had, I'm sure I don't know every story this person has ever experienced, but I know how they think. I know how they respond when they're afraid. I know when they think lying is acceptable or not acceptable. I know the things that they're ashamed of and what that brings out in them. And that's why these practices are important. And that article I mentioned earlier was focusing on experiential intimacy. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about practices that are outside the scope of traditional dating. This is not dinner and a movie stuff. This is about actually creating a different type of connection with your partner. And not everyone may be into it. No one has received more resistance about these things than me. I've brought this stuff up in relationships and been shut down immediately. And what does that tell me? That may not be the right relationship for me. It's not that these things are wrong. It's maybe that that partner is not ready for these things at the time. And if that's not what I want, and I do want to go a bit deeper, and I do feel comfortable being intimate with myself and showing up in relationships that way, then... Maybe it's about finding someone who can do the same type of work. And why are these things important? There's a certain type of power in doing something new together, being beginners together, creating those new memories, shedding layers of insecurity or self-consciousness, or allowing yourself to be seen in imperfection. You know, the thing that no one wants to do in relationships, especially new relationships, we want to just show our best selves and be seen and and interpreted that way. 
And these practices are really stripping away at that and saying, no, I mean, you can show up as the human that you are and you can also build your tolerance to experience someone else as the human that they are because it might reveal to you how often you're looking at relationships as a way to take someone else's inventory and sabotage and discount them. You know, I think that we all want to be loved for who we are, but are we loving other people for who they are? And that's what these things bring to the surface. So there's always other practices like either meditation or breath work, just practices that we can do with our partners that exist outside conversation, outside of sex, that bring us into alignment and reveal whether or not this is a person that we feel comfortable with. And so as we're talking about intimacy, how does that show up with regard to sexuality in our relationships? And one thing to look at is, what is the level or frequency of non-sexual touching in my relationships? Am I only touching my partner during sex or when I want to initiate sex? And what does that communicate to them? Or am I regularly engaging in non-sexual touching? Whether that's rubbing their back or touching their face or giving them a hug, massage, anything. Am I doing those things? And what does that bring up for them and me? And we ask this because, you know, if I only feel comfortable touching my partner in a sexual way, what is that bringing up for me? Or if I only feel comfortable with non-sexual touching and I'm really uncomfortable in the sex aspect of our relationship, what does that bring up for me? And how can we communicate that in the relationship? And what would make it feel better or make us feel safer or more connected? And so again, I'm just encouraging us to bring a level of interest and awareness to these things that we're taught to just put one foot in front of the other and just like move through. I don't know that that works for all of us. And, you know, the next question that comes up is, When do we have sex in new relationships and what level of intimacy do I want to have established before I do that? And I'm not really talking about a one-night stand here or purely sexual relationships, so please understand. I'm talking about those relationships where you are involved with someone, you see potential, and you see this person in your life as a partner. What can we do in those situations to establish intimacy prior to sex? And is that important to us? It's not about what works for me or what the world is telling you. It's about reminding you that you get to decide what works for you. What makes you feel safe? What makes you feel sexual? What makes you feel attracted to someone? What establishes intimacy or the intimacy that you want and need in a sexual relationship. And so again, it's just reminding us that we get to decide those things and no one else gets to decide for us and that there are ways to establish and walk towards that. So we've covered a lot in this episode yet in a lot of ways. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. Um, But whenever I think about intimacy and relationships, I always think about a lyric from a Father John Misty song, and he says, I love you as you are when you're alone. And that for me sums up intimacy, to be completely relaxed in who I am in the presence of another person. 
So until next week, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform and join me on Instagram at Love Letters and Mixtapes. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider making a small monthly donation to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio.